I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. In the last segment, I threw out a, a real quick question there at the end as I was looking for I was looking for an indoor track that is open and allows strollers. I threw out the text line, 57500, and in the course of the commercial break, I received so many replies. So many. I, I was expecting maybe to get one or two, and I pretty much planned on having to do the Googling work myself. Uh, but no, you were incredibly kind with your knowledge and your time, and uh, so many of you sent some great recommendations. And I think that uh, based on what I've learned here via the, the text line, that uh, little baby Piper and I are going to be uh, plenty comfortable running on an indoor track here uh, in Utah, she and her little stroller. Okay, uh, that's that. Let me uh, move right on here to the race for governor. This morning... I had a, a conversation I very much enjoyed. I was invited to participate in uh, the Dave and Dejanovic program, that wonderful program that airs here uh, mornings on KSL News Radio. And Debbie and I were back and forth about one element of the race for governor, specifically Spencer Cox, and uh, what impact his position as head of the COVID 19, the Utah COVID 19 Community Task Force, may have had on the, the results thus far uh, that have been reported of this uh, election, of the Republican nomination uh, for governor. So uh, what I want to do first, though, before I, I welcome Debbie on, is I want to remind you of some of the comments made by some of his competitors. There was a debate hosted by KUTV a few weeks ago, and I've discussed this with you in the past. There were some accusations leveled against Spencer Cox. There were uh, claims that this task force was really a, a political endeavor, and uh, I, I, I took a little exception with that. I can very well see the, the argument for that being the case. Uh, but I, I have been skeptical along the way as to the, uh, the actual impact. We'll get into that in a moment, though, uh, when I speak with Debbie. Right now, though, I want to remind you here, uh, this is what John Huntsman had to say about Cox's role in the task force. My only uh, complaint uh, early on was that the COVID task force was being used for political purposes, in, uh, in my opinion. The, the task force should be run by experts and professionals. The governor should lead it, set the priorities, and then the professionals should do their work. That's why they're there. And uh, to me, it was an example of where it had been used inappropriately for political purposes. Now, here in that same debate, Thomas Wright, then candidate for governor, had this to say. Utahns can be trusted to do the right thing, and that's why we did well. 
This is a typical pattern that we see with our current lieutenant governor, is that they take credit when things are going really well. The reason that Utah did well in the pandemic is because we had responsible businesses and citizens who took it seriously, who helped each other out, who did things the Utah way. It wasn't government that did it, just like it's not government who built our economy. We have to recognize that what did happen with Lieutenant Governor on the task force, the things that he was directly in control of, were the things that went awry. The no-bid contracts, the $800,000 on a medicine contracted for $8 million, an app for $6.6 million that violates our civil liberties that still isn't working. The things that he was directly control and over are the very things that aren't working, and then he wants to take credit for the things that the people of the state of Utah did. I think the people should get the credit. So now we are facing uh, a, a position right now in this primary race where John Huntsman and Spencer Cox are leading. Uh, Thomas Wright and Greg Hughes have both conceded uh, the race. Uh, it was neck and neck, and we are seeing now Cox pull ahead. The highest of likelihoods is that he will be the Republican nominee for governor. And so the question is, naturally, what was the impact of the task force on that? Let me put that question to Deputy Janovic. You think that there's been a, an impact on the results we are seeing right now? Huge. And this task force? Huge. There's no question in my mind. I mean, I think if you asked Utah voters... Uh, two questions, and I posed it two different ways a year ago. Who was our lieutenant governor of the state of Utah? I think you'd get a, a lot of blank stares. I don't think people would have pointed out that Spencer Cox was our lieutenant governor. So the second question that I would ask is, separately and independently in a new group of people a year ago, is who's Spencer Cox? And again, I think you'd get a lot of blank stares. So what this COVID-19 task force and the fact that he headed up the task force gave him is some name recognition that, quite frankly, I don't think he had. I know who he is. He's, in fact, in the past co-hosted with me on the David Dijanovic show in the evenings when we were in the evenings here on KSL News Radio. And uh, I know him. You know him. A lot of insiders, of course, know him. A lot of people who've been in politics a long time normally. I think if you asked... A swath of people across the Wasatch Front, who Spencer Cox is a year ago, they'd say, I have no idea who you're talking about. It was about a year ago, though, that he announced his run for governor, and he started uh, traveling the state with that big uh, Winnebago or RV, whatever it is, uh, doing service projects, making a point to visit each uh, municipality here in the state of Utah. That was all well before that was all well before this task force was formulated. I wonder if we could go back to one of your two groups of people you mentioned there and right now ask them, who is the head of the Utah COVID-19 Community Task Force? I, I'm not sure that they would all know the answer to that question. I 100% agree with you. I think we you know, name task force, forces, leaders name task forces. We know them. But I think in general... Uh, people are really busy, and they don't have time to catch all of this information. And, and you're absolutely right. I think if you even said, do we have a task force here in Utah? Some people might have caught a press conference on Facebook. But they know in general, hey, I know Salt Lake County uh, requires masks now. I know Summit County requires them. I want to go to Moab. What are they going to do? But but in terms of you know who's leading what task force, that gets very complicated. But I think where Spencer Cox won out on this is that we did not have, despite what Thomas Wright tried to bring up, despite what former Governor John Huntsman tried to lead into and lead on to during that statement in that uh, last debate, that the, somehow this is scandalous. or there's a, I don't think uh, we had an appetite to bite off on that. There was no major misstep. Now, you can say the rise in cases is a misstep at this point, but hey, we look pretty good 
in Utah compared to what's going on in Florida, what's going on in Texas, what's going on in Arizona, and by my gosh, what happened in New York in New York City? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I don't know that I don't know that any of the groups of people that you've mentioned or any of those that submitted ballots, I don't know that they attribute either the, the success nor the failure to Spencer Cox. I think that as, as certainly yeah. as, as you and I were observing these press conferences that at a time were taking place every day, right. it was the Angela Dunn show, not right. the Spencer Cox show. It was at times the Governor Herbert show, not the Spencer Cox show. Right. And this is a case where for Spencer Cox, it's PR 101. Any publicity is going to be good publicity. Mm. It's going to get his name out there. I mean, he's very prolific and does a good job on social media, and he's been doing that for a very long time. So perhaps his his Twitter um, and all his tweeting gets the the younger vote out. Uh, But again, it's PR 101. Uh, Any publicity, in this case for Spencer Cox, was good publicity. And I think you saw that come out in the last debate where some of the uh, candidates started to take shots at him over it. Yeah, hundred percent. You did some number crunching I this did. morning. Uh, is there is does, does Huntsman have a chance here? Well, according to our calculator here on the Dave and Dujanovic show, it doesn't look too good for uh, former Governor John Huntsman. Particularly, you got to look at uh, Salt Lake County, where uh, County Clerk Sherry Swenson told us this morning there were thirty eight thousand eight hundred ballots left as of Friday to count. That included provisional ballots. So we crunched the math, and according, you know, John Huntsman's been getting forty six percent of the vote in Salt. Lake County, he'd have to, if he continues that, he'd have to get like 17,848 more votes in order to catch and then surpass Spencer Cox. I, I, you know, I don't think that there's any statistical possibility at this point that John Huntsman's going to be able to get enough votes to surpass uh, Spencer Cox. But what about a recount? Yeah, we could well, be in the, the window of a recount. I think Is that five hundred or what? Yeah, what's the... I, I can't remember what Jason Perry told us today uh, from the Huntsman. Uh, or half a percentage. Excuse point. me, that's from it. the University of half Utah a Hinkley point. Institute. Half a percentage point. That's what it was. Half a percentage point. So maybe this is exciting, though. This is exciting. Are we it, expecting another dump of uh, votes today, Lee? It, yeah, we are at, at three o'clock. And I've got to complain about that. As you know, my program ends at three o'clock, yeah. and so I've got to wait a whole twenty-four hours before I get to sort through all the data, uh, which. Which I'll do in part here ah. in the segment upcoming. Debbie, thank you so much Thanks, uh, for chatting with me. Look forward to speaking to you again. Thanks All for right, having me. Gonna, that's the way. We're going to take a break right now. When we do come back, though, I want to share with you some of the information on the other races. Uh, you, of course, know about the neck-and-neck battle right now between Cox and Huntsman as we receive data each day. That's not the only one. There are some folks looking to run for Congress, uh, and there are uh, there is a race for uh, Attorney General of this great state. And there are some statements on that and some data on that, which I will share with you next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind, only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do? in the face of an international disaster decades in the making. 
That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. To expand a little on the news you just heard from Nick Wyatt there relating to COVID-19 case counts here in the state of Utah. Unfortunately, the news is that six more Utahns have lost their lives as a result of contracting the coronavirus. Some uh, more specific details on that figure. Three men, three women uh, passed away. The majority of them, four out of six, in fact, between the ages of 65 and 84. Uh, two of the women who passed away were between 45 and 64. Uh, and some were hospitalized, some were not. I, I'd invite you to navigate your way over to coronavirus.utah.gov. Each time uh, these these bits of data are released, I invite you to go check out that website to get a more thorough and complete understanding of exactly what's happening here in Utah. There were some earlier criticisms leveled against the state and specifically this website uh, because of the data that was released. Some said that there was very little data. Well, I can tell you now that that is not the case. Coronavirus.utah.gov, it breaks down everything by demographics. It breaks down even by region, portion of the state. You can get a, a very thorough understanding of what's happening there, including the hospitalizations and what uh, percentage of our state's overall capacity is being uh, tested right now uh, with the 192 positive COVID-19 cases which are currently hospitalized. So uh, coronavirus.utah.gov is a good window into that information. Now, uh, turning our attention to the race for not only governor but attorney general as well as the race in Utah's 1st Congressional District and the 4th Congressional District. Now, it, it... it, it breaks the hearts of many Democrats uh, when when those of us uh, share this information. Uh, and that, sound, that made it sound like I was a, a Democrat. I didn't mean to say that. Uh, what I mean to say is it breaks the hearts of many Democrats when they hear that in the state of Utah, the highest of likelihoods is that those uh, individuals who are competing – uh, for the Republican nomination are likely those who will go on to become the ultimate uh, general election victor. That is uh, almost certainly going to be the case in the race for governor. That is almost certainly going to be the case in the race for attorney general. That is almost certainly going to be the case in the race for Utah's first congressional district. Now, where that is not certain to be the case is in Utah's fourth congressional district. That is the race which is now pitting Republican nominee Burgess Owens against Ben McAdams. I almost said Burgess Meredith just now. Uh, any of you uh, Twilight Zone fans? Uh, there's there's some good Burgess, o, uh, Burgess Meredith Twilight Zone episodes. There's a tangent. Burgess Owens competing against Ben McAdams. Is it possible for Mr. Owens to unseat Ben McAdams? I think it's possible. I think it will be difficult. I think two factors uh, must be considered by those in the Owens camp, and that is number one, money. It's a heartbreaking reality that money has such a large role in this, but as we have learned certainly in the race for governor and other races here in Utah and across the country, that name recognition is so absolutely crucial. Name recognition. 
so absolutely crucial and vital to success at the ballot box. Now, that's not any type of negative commentary on uh, you know the those cast in ballots. It's simply a reality. It is very difficult to support someone about whom you know very, very little. And it costs money uh, to make it known to uh, the, the overall uh, group of electorates who you exactly are. And so uh, Mr. Owens will need to uh, come up with a good deal of money in an effort to, to get his name out there. Ben McAdams has a lot of it, over $2 million if uh, memory serves. Mr. Owens, uh, not as much. But as we have heard over and over and over, for both the Democrats and the Republicans, this is a very important race. A very important race. Attention is being paid to this race from well well outside of Utah. In fact, uh, it, President Trump, just over the weekend, sent out a tweet where he was congratulating Mr. Owens for his receipt of the Republican nomination. Now, I said there were two factors. Number one, money. The second really is the Trump factor. Burgess Owens is often on Fox News. He is often singing the praises of President Trump. He's got the, he's got the Trump base figured out. The trouble is, I don't believe that the Trump base is sufficient to deliver victory in Utah's 4th Congressional District. It's a, a much more uh, dynamic and diverse district, as evidenced by the fact it's represented right now by a Democrat. And so uh, my belief is that uh, to compete against, to compete effectively against Ben McAdams, that Burgess Owens will need to uh, look for ways to extend his appeal and to grow his appeal uh, beyond uh, the, the base of uh, Trump supporters. Now, uh, I'm going to leave it at that. Let's turn to the numbers now. I do want you to be aware of the most recent numbers and also uh, give you a, a, a point that at about 3 o'clock, there will be an additional dump of data coming from uh, the, the remaining votes that are out there. A number have been collected uh, early last week to have come through the mail, and we are still uh, on the receiving end of some of that data because uh, we need to get them all counted. That is the only way we'll have uh, some finality in a number of the uncertain uh, races. First and foremost, that between Spencer Cox and John Huntsman Jr. as they seek the party's nomination for governor. Uh, Greg Hughes and Thomas Wright have both conceded. And uh, you heard Debbie Dejanovic do a great job breaking down the data in the last segment. So I won't repeat that. But uh, the pathway to victory for John Huntsman Jr. uh, looks difficult. It looks difficult. There would have to be a break in the trends currently uh, demonstrated in, these, in the release of this data for John Huntsman to, uh, to, to pull this off. And there's really no indication, at least in my estimation, that there will be any trends broken as we receive uh, new data today at 3 o'clock in just under two hours from right now and as far into the future as we need it before uh, results are certified. So that's that. Be tuned certainly to this radio station uh, throughout the rest of the day as that data rolls in and is analyzed. And maybe, maybe, maybe we get uh, some finality today in the race for governor. Another race which is still contested is the race between uh, Blake Moore and Bob Stevenson in the first congressional district as those 
two candidates seek the Republican nomination. Kerry Gibson and Katie Witt, both uh, contenders in that race as well, uh, likely unable to secure the uh, number of votes required to, to win that. And it's really a race between Blake Moore and Bob Stevenson. Uh, Blake Moore right now enjoying uh, more than 2% uh, of a lead. And so while it is much, much closer than the race for governor, where Spencer Cox certainly enjoys uh, uh, a comfortable lead. Uh, Blake Moore, while he enjoys a, a lead right now, uh, not as certain as the race for governor. I told you, too, that I would mention the race for attorney general. Uh, that one looks like it will certainly be uh, a contest between uh, between Sean Reyes uh, and – let me get this uh, – pulled up correctly, between Sean Reyes and his Democrat challenger. Uh, Sean Reyes right now enjoying 54% of the popular vote. That's almost 10 points, 10 percentage points against uh, David Levitt, who put up uh, a pretty good fight. Uh, you know, you, you've heard him uh, interviewed uh, all over the place. You've seen his uh, signage plastered uh, along the, the roadways here in Utah, and he put a lot of money into advertising. And so, uh, you know, he, he gave it a fight. And uh, he made some uh, some strong points, and he made some strong allegations against current Attorney General Sean Reyes. Uh, seemingly, though, uh, voters uh, in the major part standing behind Sean Reyes. So that's the update right now on all of the races which are outstanding, at least the, the, the larger races. There are some certainly for uh, state Senate seats and state House seats, even Board of uh, Education, which are still receiving uh, dumps of data. Next one due at 3 o'clock today. All right, we're going to take a, a quick break. When we come back, we're going to move away from elections here in Utah and take a look at decisions handed down by the Supreme Court in Washington, D.C. Two fascinating decisions handed down today, one dealing with the Electoral College, the other with robocalls. That's coming up next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio.